You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read books by black authors, and they're talked about by a black author, and you can listen if you're black or not black. This week on the podcast, we read Matteo Ascaripore's debut novel, Black Buck. Still really hoping that I'm saying that name correctly. Obviously, the author's name, not the name of the the novel's title. That was easy enough. Uh, But okay, so this work came out earlier this year, 2021. And how did I come to it? I was on the internet reading an article, saw that uh, I liked it, saw that the author was Mr. Ascari Poor. Forgive me if I'm saying that incorrectly. Went to his website, went to Twitter, followed him, and then eventually he tweeted out that his novel was coming out. So I picked it up, and here we are. And I thought this was a good time to crack it open and read it before the end of 2021. Came out this year, wanted to read it in the year it came out. So. How we're going to do this today, going to do the plot of the novel, then the feel of the novel, the feel of the novel, the style of the novel, and then the tone of the novel, and then like, you know, just overall impressions, little character stuff and things like that. All right, but so the plot of the novel, a half, I wrote a little synopsis here, let me read it. A half black, half Hispanic Brooklynite leaves Bed-Stuy for a tech startup in Manhattan at the behest of his friends and family who see more in him than he does in himself. Okay? And that half-black, half-Hispanic Brooklynite, his name is Darren Vender, a.k.a. Buck, the titular Buck. So, hopping in real quick to the feel of the novel, I thought this novel had a distinctly 1970s feel. Now, let's be clear from the synopsis it's a tech startup in manhattan so you already know this is not a 1970s novel nothing about the 1970s really not even flashbacks to the 1970s so why did i think it felt like the 1970s well one thing is the name buck the name buck i recently in the last six months have watched the film buck and the preacher it's a black exploitation western really more of a western than it is black exploitation directed by sydney portier and starring him and Harry Belafonte. Anyway, one of the characters' names is Buck. And also, Buck in general is kind of, um, not kind of, was a name that people in antebellum times to refer to strapping black men, right? Who they saw as, like, not humans, as like a buck. So, there's, right there in the title, kind of invokes this somewhat old imagery because the novel certainly deals with race quite a bit. The 1970s imagery, I don't imagine that that's what the author was going for, but it's just what happened to me. And then as I was reading the novel, it made me think of a novel that did come out in the 1970s, which is Oreo by Fran Ross, which is a a satirical novel. And this novel is very much a satirical, absurdist novel. So... It kind of made me think of that work by Fran Ross, although that work by Fran Ross, well, here, here's a similarity. That work by Fran Ross was based on a classic myth, and this novel is based on a sales manual. Not a real one, but that's kind of like the structure, and we'll get to that later. So anyway, both kind of made me think, both of these things made me think of the 1970s. Put it, Put that into my mind, and then there's something about 
New York in general, um, for me, and I guess for everybody who's not from New York, you know, we've lived through New York through pictures, and I like watching 1970s films, so maybe for me, like, the 70s and the 90s are New York. I don't really think of 1980s New York or 2000s New York when I when I visited it. Uh, in my mind, New York is always in the 70s, and they're in a brownstone in Brooklyn, and all I can think of is either the 70s or, like, you know, Biggie's house. So, might be a personal thing. Might be a might be a thing that was intentional. I I think it was the former. Really doubt it was the latter. Uh, the other thing that made me think about the 1970s was some of the humor in the novel. There's a lot of similes. A lot of similes. Um, things like, uh, he says at one point, this, this dude was more red than a Russian. Uh, it was pointier than Michael Jackson's nose. Um, several things like this. Uh, you know, throughout the novel. So, there are a lot of similes that felt like kind of old school. And so that also put me in the mind of the 1970s. Okay. Again, I don't think that that was at all intentional, but that's what happened to me. All right. And then the next thing about the feel of the novel, which I mentioned with Oreo, is that it is absurd. It's an absurd novel. A lot of absurd stuff happens. Scenarios, uh, the humor... And the general take on, like, the modern milieu. And so that put me in the mind of Sorry to Bother You, the Boots Riley film, which also is about being a person working, a black person working in cells in a city that's being gentrified. I thought it was similar to that. And then also to the Zach Galifianakis film Visioneers. I should say that it's been, like, a long time since I've seen that film. But it did make me think of Visioneers. But I don't know if that's really accurate. But at any rate, absurdity. Okay, absurdity and kind of like a an idea of New York or um, a hyper-realized version of New York that I guess is something like cinematic New York, which put me in the mind of the 1970s. But at the very least, cinematic New York and absurdism. That would be the fill of the novel. All right. So then let's move on to style. The style of the novel very much was, as I said, a sales manual. At the end of the novel, in the acknowledgments, uh, the author talks about how that was the idea, and his agent really clicked with him when he was pitching the story. I think he had already written it. He was pitching the novel or trying to shop it around to sell it, and his agent got him. They, they understood immediately, oh, this is what this is supposed to be. This is supposed to be a sales manual. And it's an interesting way to structure the book and works uh, as a piece of satire. So throughout the throughout the novel, there are, mm, wouldn't call them interludes, they're not really strong enough for that, and they're not footnotes. They're just little blocks of like, make sure you're paying attention here. Kind of the way you would do in like, um, if you had like rules, right? Like rule number 45, rule number 56, always do this, always do that, whatever. So as the novel's being narrated, eventually you'll have these little breakouts and it'll say like rule number 20 it doesn't say rule but just as an example rule number 20 and then tell you like how to close a deal or how to do better with sales and stuff like that so that was interesting and it worked for the novel for sure and it also is a good device to draw you in because you're reading a book about sales and what is a book about sales going to do it's going to try to sell you so the whole book is trying to sell you on something and of course, that's something that's trying to sell you on is fictional, but still, it works as a device to try to draw you into the novel. All right, lastly, the thing 
I wanted to talk about was the tone of the novel. So it's got an interesting tone. I mentioned a little bit earlier with the similes. But one of the things that's really hard to do in writing fiction for anybody is to write in the vernacular. And then one of the things that's becoming abundantly clear as we get like just outside of the hip-hop age or as we progress through the hip-hop age, are we in the hip-hop age? Is it over? Uh, one of the things that becomes abundantly clear is that capturing the vernacular of hip-hop is really difficult. So there's always been street talk for everybody, white, black, whatever, and you can read crime novels and hear it. And then there's, so there's street talk and that's one thing, right? And, you know, not to generalize, but in general, street talk means like, it's going to sound a bit uneducated or at least accented. That's at least the way it has come to be represented in most literature. And I think most movies, and that's what we more or less expect. Hip hop has its own particular vernacular that's different than anything. Obviously it's, it's following African American vernacular English, but also like, there's just very specific hip-hop things that might be outside of even AAVE. Uh, there's no question that Matteo Ascaripour is a huge hip-hop head. In the back of the book, he talks about how he would watch two to three hours of music videos before writing. So, And he names all the dudes he's into, you know, Nipsey and Cole and Kendrick. and God, There was like, it was like a, two paragraphs of guys, so we're not going to go through all of them. But there's tons. But anyway, the point is that it's super hard to capture that. And then also in the novel, the main character, Buck, you know, he's going from Bed-Stuy to Manhattan. His old friends are in Bed-Stuy. His new work associates are in Manhattan. And he's code switching back and forth. And in the novel, the code switching is really obvious. And when he's in Bed-Stuy, he puts on his Brooklyn accent. And when he's in Manhattan, he rubs all the edges off of that accent. All this to say that it was done pretty well, but like, it's really hard to capture whatever that accent in Bed-Stuy sounds like. I suppose. I'm not from Brooklyn. I don't know. It felt at times, like, distracting. Because you know that Buck... It's kind of like, you know it's... Which one is the affectation, is the question. Which one is the affectation, you were kind of wondering as you were reading. Maybe neither one is. Maybe you could argue that neither one is. But certainly felt like one was, right? Like, either you're putting on this bed accent, or you're putting on this polished accent, or both just exist inside of you at the same time in some kind of uh, linguistic version of cognitive dissonance or something. It's possible. But it did feel at times like reading, especially because most of the novel is really in Manhattan. So, I guess that's what it, that's what does it. When he goes back to bed it feels more like he's putting himself... He's putting that accent on because most of the novel is in Manhattan and he's not putting himself on at those times. So, or it doesn't feel like he is. So it feels like when he goes back to bedside, that's the accent that is affected. Anyway, I thought that the vernacular was captured okay at times and then other times felt forced. I thought when Buck used the vernacular, and to be clear, it wasn't like, we're not talking about, like, it's not like some crazy over-the-top, it's overdone kind of thing. It's just that it was there. So, when Jason uses so his best friend is Jason. Jason is his best friend, and he's making his way on the streets, selling drugs on the corner. And when he speaks in the vernacular, it sounds super authentic. So, this really must just be the case of, I'm reading this character going into Manhattan and coming back to bed and I'm judging him because when he comes back to bed I imagine that his voice is an affectation. Which, 
in a way, maybe that was intentional. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But it worked. But, yeah, so for Jason, he sounds authentic. Uh, Mr. Rollins sounds authentic, but he just sounds like an old black dude. Yeah, so so it, it really just depends character to character. But for some reason, Buck speaking in the vernacular and code switching back and forth, I just, whenever he spoke in the Brooklyn accent, it just bothered me. So, again, you know, that's that's like a personal issue. All right. Overall, just impressions and what did I think of the novel? Overall, I want to say the characters that I really thought came through and were super clear. I thought Mr. Rollins was awesome as the old black guy who everybody knows. We all have one of them, right? Tells you you got to work hard. That guy. Mom was good. Ma. Ma was good. Uh, Clyde was great as somebody you hate. Jason was solid. Soraya. I mean, all the characters are solid. I couldn't like Buck. I just didn't like him at all. At all, at all, at all. He really, really, really bothered me. And I, I mean, part of it is that he's supposed to, like he's not doing the right thing. And then he eventually comes out on the other side and does do the right thing. That's obviously how a novel works, right? Like he, he progresses, but I just never found myself rooting for him, which is whatever. I just couldn't get behind this guy. And ultimately his friends and family did. So that's cool. But I couldn't. The other thing about the novel was I wanted it to be, like, more absurd. So I mentioned Sorry to Bother You earlier. And the left turn that Sorry to Bother You makes, if you've not seen the film, I'm not going to give it away. But when it makes that left turn, it's it's a weird one. And I was kind of waiting this whole time I was reading this book, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it didn't really drop. I don't want to give the plot away, but, like, there's definitely a direction that it goes in that is perhaps different than you might assume it will go in, but not to the point of like full absurdity or like surrealism. And that's kind of what I felt I was being set up for and more of what I wanted. And maybe that says something about the expectations I wanted, but I was looking for that more. I, I felt like the novel presented a world in which there were these extreme divisions in America. So that's just an actual true reflection of the world. And I liked that. And then it took that version of America and then it like jacked it up to, you know, full volume, which is good because that's how you really notice something is, is happening in a work of art is like, I'm not just going to show you a pure reflection. I'm going to, it's like Flannery O'Connor said, like you want to make your characters a hundred feet tall so people pay attention. So the characters are a hundred feet tall. You know, Clyde is a hundred feet tall. I thought that was good. And then I just wanted it to keep going though. Like I thought, well, they're a hundred feet tall and they're kind of all absurd. I want this to be even more absurd and out of hand and weirder. And I didn't think it did that. So that part for me didn't didn't quite land that part of the novel didn't quite land i wanted a bit more absurdism and i didn't get it which is fine that's a different book so to wrap this up i thought the author took a lot of chances with this novel i thought the style was cool i like the inclusion of like it's a weird thing to say kind of but the hip-hop culture I felt like this was a hip-hop novel in some ways like there's not a lot of references to hip-hop but there are at the same time. I mean, there's definitely more than four. So that's more than you get in most novels. So I felt in a way like it was a hip hop novel. And, and in, and in that way, you know, it's hard to capture 
that spirit that hip-hop captures in a novel. So I thought this novel went for that. I don't know if it always captured it. I think with like the main character, for instance, it was kind of off a little bit, but overall it got there in places. And then, yeah, the plot is absurd, but I wanted a little bit more absurdity, personally. So for this particular novel, I'm intrigued. Uh, I want to see what he does next. I want to see what Matteo Oscaripor does next. I'm interested in that. And I'll be paying attention. All right, so next two podcasts, going to be reading Where Do We Go From Here by an author named Martin Luther King Jr. Right, right. So yeah, we're going to read uh, Where Do We Go From Here by Martin Luther King Jr., Going to do break it into two podcasts, so the first week, going to read chapters 1 through 3 and talk about them, and then after that, chapters 4 through 6 and talk about them. So, yeah, that won't be next week, that'll be two weeks, two weeks from this podcast. And in that time, I reviewed a book for Litro Magazine by Wole Soyinka, so that'll be up, the review will be up, and then also the podcast with that, that goes with that will be up, so... Until then, stay safe, stay black, and keep